Greetings and salutations. You've successfully arrived at the bloody, disgusting network. The passage of time will now bring you to something strange, unique, and idiosyncratic. Have a good time. Hey everyone, Randall here. Quick note about this episode, which we recorded a few years back for our Patreon and are now unlocking amidst our Dark Tower coverage. Um, it's funny to listen to in retrospect as me and the Dans hadn't reread the last few Dark Tower books in many years when we recorded it. So as you'll hear in preparing for it, <laughs> we quickly realized that all the lore surrounding the Crimson King and Midworld and the Tower was a lot weirder and twistier than we remembered. So um, please give a, give our old selves a bit of grace if we get a thing or two wrong and uh, listen to our recent Dark Tower coverage for some more uh, refreshed perspectives. Our first episode about the final book in the saga, The Dark Tower, is out next Friday, and subscribers to The Barons will also get early access to Part 2. That and more, including uh, reviews of the latest King books, film commentaries, interviews, and more are available at patreon.com slash thebarons. For now, though, enjoy a very wacky episode about The Crimson King. Thanks so much. My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you But if you wanna make love, then I do too And I'll be right there behind you Constant listeners, and welcome yet again to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast. This is a Patreon exclusive episode today, uh, sort of a, a supplement, I guess you could say, to our episode on insomnia, Stephen King's Insomnia, the book we reviewed last week. It's a great episode. If you haven't listened to it yet, we'd um, highly recommend it. It's a great one. And today we are going to do an episode discussing that book's uh, not really the primary villain, but sort of uh, the overarching villain perhaps, and it's the introduction of that villain who's in many Stephen King books, and that is the Crimson King. And so today we're going to do a little episode kind of breaking down the history, the lore, and also sort of the overall impact of the Crimson King and whether or not we like the Crimson King. So don't expect like a thorough or thoroughly uh, researched uh, piece on the Crimson King. We haven't had a chance to revisit Black House and the later Dark Tower books, so we're going to do that obviously in future episodes. This is sort of like a, as King fans who have read everything, this is sort of a um, dig into where are with the Crimson King post-insomnia. What do we remember and what are our thoughts on the character? You know, if you're a Patreon subscriber to this podcast, you're probably a big Kinghead, so you probably have read all the Dark Tower books and stuff, but if not, do know that this is going to be a spoiler-heavy episode. We're going to be talking about the Crimson King's arc throughout the Dark Tower series, as well as King's Dominion in general, so this is a very insider baseball kind of episode. And uh, my name's Rockin' Randall Colburn, and joining me are two of the pods, uh, I'd say foremost preeminent tower heads uh who's joining me from here in chicago this is dan towerhead flieger <laughs> i couldn't think of anything good that's okay you were on the insomnia episode with me last week so we heard a little bit about your thoughts on the crimson king but i'm excited to hear more from you on that and uh who else do we have with us we have in atlanta georgia this is dan e <laughs> Love it. Uh, 
and yeah, I guess before we begin, I'd love to hear a little bit about whether or not this was your first encounter, or, or like what was your first encounter with the Crimson King when you were reading uh, Stephen King? Was it in Insomnia where the character is introduced, or did you read Insomnia after you read the Dark Tower series? Uh, Caffrey, let's start with you. I want to say I read Insomnia, not after the entire Dark Tower series, but... Um... I think I read Insomnia um, like way after the Crimson King had been established in that book. So I want to say the first time I I encountered the name of the Crimson King, I guess I'm trying to think chronologically. I guess I would have read Black House and and that would have been the first place. But I feel like I remember it. And what's the first Tower book they they actually mention him by name? And it's I guess it's um, Wizard of Glass, right? Uh, no, I actually think it's the, if I'm not, if I'm not being crazy, I think it's the final book is when they, oh wait, no, 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 no. I take it back. Cause I know it's, um, that, uh, the Crimson King is in Song of Susanna. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't think the character is mentioned in Wizard and Glass at all. Yeah. He's actually I, mentioned in the Gunslinger. It's alluded to by Sylvia Pittston. Oh, is that in uh, the is that in the re- revised version? Yeah, I think so. Um, okay. It's a basic, and that's the one that I read. But basically, they, they allude that Walter Flag might be the Crimson King, but it's kind of it's just a, to mislead you, right? Right. Like some woman says she was impregnated by him, and that her son is like it's the king's son. Yeah, I think that's what's so tough about the Crimson King, and, and just. Um, remembering my journey with him and even just talking about him in general is that there's a lot of revision being done by King throughout history, you know? And I think because early on, um, there were all these sort of different Crimson King esque villains. And then he eventually separated there. There've been times where he's combined them and separated them and everything else. And even some of the Crimson King lore that we'll get into in the comics is kind of similar to Mordred. And so it's actually really cloudy for me to think about, a pinpointed time when I I really first heard about him, and then there's the band Crimson King also, which so King it feels Crimson like very, or King Crimson. Did I say Crimson. I know King? I the, said King, the court Crimson, of the Crimson King, King on our Insomnia episode, and I'm sure we're getting dinged about for it. But, so it is. Yeah. King no, Crimson. they're they're a great band. They're like Sabbath Black. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Cult Oyster Blue. I love them too. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, so I don't have like a super specific memory. It, it's one of those things where it almost feels like ubiquitous, and it was always there, even though it clearly wasn't. Um, but I think part of that also has to do with the fact that King went back and, like Flieger is saying, revised the Gunslinger and sort of folded the Crimson King more into the lore than he had previously been. Yeah. How about you, Flieger? Do you have like a specific memory? Um. Yeah. So I, I've mentioned this on other episodes, but Dan Caffrey's the one who actually got me into the Gunslinger. Um, I had read Cujo as a boy, but I would not really done a lot of King. And then I set off on my path for the Dark Tower. And that's how I sort of got into everything that was happening in this universe. Yeah. So for um, you, you read the revised version. So you encountered Crimson King right up front. Very early. Yeah. And I remember Walmart used to sell them for like three fifty for some reason. So Caffrey got me the first one and then I would just go and I became obsessive. And I think I read the whole series in like two to three months. Um, yeah. But growing up, my dad did have albums from King Crimson. Um, Robert Fripp is like an extraordinary guitar player. That's kind of their gimmick. Um, there's a good song called Elephant Talk, if anyone's ever heard that. Dan might have heard that before, but it's a good King Crimson song and a good intro to the band. Nice. Yeah, my favorite King Crimson song is uh, 21st Century Schizoid Man. Kanye West samples it. President Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> President. Just kidding. I like him as a musician. Not going not gonna to vote for him. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, for me, and so, but then, and Fleer, that was your first time reading Insomnia last week, right? 
Yes. Yeah, so that was probably a um, uh, very surprising and interesting sort of um, detour for the character. Yeah, for you. exactly. But I but I had also the comics, the uh, Long Road Home, mm-hmm. and those kind of would get into a little more of the history. And, uh, you know, you'd have the images of him in the comics where he looks pretty scary. Yeah, yeah. We're going to talk about those a little bit as well because um, you guys are more versed in those than I am. I, I still have, have yet to dig into the Dark Tower comics world. But um, yeah, mine was Insomnia most definitely because I read Insomnia. I, I You know, I read it before uh, I read um, any of the final three Dark Tower books, where which is where the Crimson King plays a bigger role. Uh, and so Insomnia, for me, was my first encounter with the character, and I think that's why I was so confused by it. Um, I found the Crimson King to be a very jarring presence, especially be, as it related to Dark Tower lore, and I found myself very, very intrigued um, to see how that character would manifest throughout the final Dark Tower books. I remember, I mentioned this a little bit on our Insomnia episode, but I used to kind of troll message boards, like Stephen King message boards, and and kind of read a lot of the theories about what the character actually was and represented within the world. And um, I've got a few of those kind of wild theories that, um, uh, not ones that, you know, obviously certain ones that have sort of evolved uh, after um, the books concluded and the Crimson King's arc sort of, uh, you know, wrapped up. But yeah, so um, yeah, different for all of us, which is pretty interesting. Um, I guess like, it's the Crimson King is sort of a very large um, presence within King. He and King even uh, did finally. I mean, it, not that it's like a huge secret uh, because he uses so many Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, illusions in Insomnia, and the sigil of the Christian Crimson King is the big red eye. So you know, King wasn't really hiding the fact that Crimson King was the Sauron of his multiverse, um, and then he confirmed as much in an interview that he did with George R. R. Martin. Very viral interview, very fun interview uh, between these two titans of genre, as I would say. Um, <laughs> But the, uh, but yeah, and so Crimson King sort of oversees, um, kind of the, you know, all that is kind of evil within the world, which I think is super interesting. And there is a line in the interview that the two do, um, where, uh, King sort of describes the appeal of Crimson King for him. He talks about this idea of inside evil and outside evil in that, and, um, he says outside evil is a more comforting concept. It's that whole concept of the devil made me do it. And he says it's a way of almost shucking responsibility. And uh, and whereas, you know, he discusses how George R. R. Martin writes about more the interior evil of people, the idea that, um, you know, humans can't really blame uh, their evil or, or rotten behaviors on sort of a devil. And King sort of, by giving us the Crimson King, almost gives us that devil. And uh, we'll talk more about the general concept of Crimson King being a actual devil. But um, but King also said in that interview, he said, what a lot of horror fiction does is it allows uh, people to grapple with the outside evil that strikes us. Uh, we're trying to cope with the sorts of things in our lives, the bad things that we don't understand, like finding out, you know, say someone you love has cancer, or finding Finding out, um, you know, that a plane has crashed into the World Trade Center. Like, how do you really process uh, levels of evil that are exist on such magnitude? And so, you know, King sort of framed the Crimson King as being this uh, great specter of outside evil. And he sort of gives his world that. And I think he struggles with that a little bit based on what he said in this interview is that I think he almost regrets that because I think King is somebody who, you know, as we do see in a lot of his books, he does really believe that the capacity for 
for evil does exist within the person, although he does love his possessed characters. Obviously, I love my, my Henry Bowers. But I think, um, I guess I would ask you guys, like, sort of, if someone who had never heard of the Crimson King in King, uh, in Stephen King's work, came to you and asked you, like, what is this character? How would you describe it to them? Uh, Fleer, why don't we start with you? Um, simply, I would just say he's the devil of the Stephen King universe. I yeah. Mean, I think he's a red king hellfire right it's so but within you know stephen king kind of recontextualizes a lot of you know the christian lore mythologies histories yep um you know we have the arthur king arthur story that's basically being retold here um so yeah i always just kind of took him as like the closest thing we have to the devil um you know people have asked if flag is the devil but i think they make it pretty clear that he's more of a minion um you know kind of an eternal being but not the actual devil himself yeah, how about you, Caffrey? Yeah, similar. I mean, because even Mother Abigail refers to Flag as um, Satan's imp, right? And I, I think that is pretty telling. Yeah, I w- you know, it's funny that he brings up the Sauron comparison. And I don't know if I'm just aping that because I just heard it. But I, I actually think I would, as being a, a huge Lord of the Rings head, um, a hobbit head, if you will, um, <laughs> I think I would actually turn to that. Because, yeah, the thing with Sauron and, and Lord of the Rings, you hear a lot about what he did before the books happened. And then he gets vanquished um, and not completely killed but his form, his physical form becomes not quite as strong. So you really only see him as this kind of all seeing eye. And then you have characters like Saruman and even the Balrog and a lot of these villains that take a much more front and center seat. Um, I would say Sauron even takes less of a, has less of a role in Lord of the Rings as it goes on than the Crimson King ends up having. It's not like Sam and Frodo square off with Sauron at the end of it. Right. So I think I would describe it like that. I mean, obviously if it's someone who is thinking about reading the Dark Tower books, I probably wouldn't go into the ending and him being becoming insane and all the stuff that happens in the seventh book. I think, yeah, similar to Flieger, I would just describe it as this kind of omnipresent being that you never really see, but you hear about a lot. And every other villain in the Kingverse seems to be somewhat connected to him and um, following him, too, even if they don't know they're following him. Yes, yeah, so that's how I think I would do it. What about you, though, Randall? Yeah, I well, you know, I guess I was very similar in... Um in the way that Flieger did, and the idea that, like, this is King Satan. And I guess I didn't even really realize how explicit that connection is until I sort of uh, refreshed myself and did a little research. It's been a long time since I've read the Dark Tower book, so... Um, but in the stand, Mother Abigail, she does say Satan's imp, but she also has a line where she describes Randall Flagg as saying, he ain't Satan, but he and Satan know of each other and have kept their counsels together of old. And, uh, which is a, a line that I think is very telling. And then, um... And then uh, in Dark Tower 6, Song of Susanna, uh, Susanna actually tells Mia that in her world, people see the Crimson King as a horned, red-skinned monster called Satan. So uh, King actually really <laughs> does spell it out uh, that, you know, I think the the vision that we have in, in you know, Christian mythology um, of Satan is, is actually the Crimson King, which is a very interesting thing for me. And I think it does sort of, in that way, it almost sort of perverts the... Because I think, you know, when we talk about the stand... You, Caffrey, specifically, we talk a lot about sort of the um, the way it depicts Christianity and the way it sort of, um, you know, maybe foregrounds Christianity in those books in ways that feel unsatisfying. In a way, he almost broadens it um, by kind of taking the Christian mythos and wrapping it into his uh, into his multiverse by kind of using the Crimson King in that sort of way. Would you agree yeah, with that? Kind of, it's kind of like this. Yeah, it's kind of this almost... Okay, th- this is how our world 
and not by our world, I mean like whatever beam we're on, right? Like the you know twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, like this is how they view. This is the face they put on good and evil. They call it God. They call it the devil. But it's actually this other thing. So it it, it actually makes it does make it a little bit more palatable for me because. It, it it maybe doesn't feel quite as Hallmark movie-esque, right? Like it actually complicates <laughs> the definition of good and evil right? Um, and makes it a little bit more cosmic, maybe a little bit more Lovecraftian, which is obviously a big influence on King. So it's funny. Yeah, I hadn't really thought about it until you just said that just now. But no, yeah, I, th- I think that makes the... Um, all the all the free zone religious shit a little, a little <laughs> easier to swallow. And I should say I love I love the stand, obviously. But yeah, yeah, but- yeah. Hey, we'll be talking a lot about it this uh, winter. That's for damn sure. Um, so yeah, and I guess like if we're talking about the multiverse, which I think Crimson King is a big part of, uh, because he is sort of this immortal, powerful being within the world, but he still isn't the most powerful being in that world. Um, you know, if we want to talk about some of the uh, grander mythology that exists within. In, uh, the Dark Tower and the King Multiverse. This is stuff where I'm a little bit out of my depth because this is stuff that never really interested me. So you guys might even be able to fill in a few blanks. Um, I think it might interest me more now that I'm older, like when I do revisit the Dark Tower series. Um, but the general idea of the Prim, do you remember what the Prim is? The Prim? Wait, <laughs> yeah. is that like is that like the the rim on the world? Or uh, it, I'm, it's I'm actually described... not, not remembering that. I, I, isn't the... Oh, I'm trying to think. So I, I know that Arthur the Eld is supposed to be his father. Um, was the Prim the location that he was born, or is it like the dimension uh, he comes from, I think from the one of the women? Yeah, the Prim is, and I think you can sort of align it with the concept of Todash Darkness, which is another thing within the King world, like in this fantasy world, which is sort of what is described as the darkness behind everything. Uh, Like the darkness that exists, uh, the primordial darkness that sort of exists beyond the multiverse, the thing that would sort of take over if the tower is destroyed. Um, And that is essentially where the books posit that the Crimson King was born out of. Um, And that there is sort of, and it's also sort of uh, described as the magical essence from which the metaphysical entity Gan rose. Uh, Gan is sort of in this the turtle, sort of, right? yeah. Well, I don't know if Gan is the turtle. I think the turtle was also. Oh no, born the turtle is is Turin, right? Maturin, yeah. Yeah. Gan is sort of this um, kind of the god, like the god of the multiverse, and uh, God is part of within this world is portrayed as being part of the purpose and then there is the random right and that's something that was discussed in insomnia where uh atropos is the chaotic agent of the random whereas uh clotho and lachesis are the uh doctors who sort of represent the purpose like the idea of things being in order and gan is a entity that represents order as does the turtle whereas uh the crimson king sort of represents um randomness uh and they they sort of associate the color red with that darkness and um and so basically the crimson king's mission is to destroy the tower destroy the beams because if they're all broken down then he can sort of uh take over you know uh take the lead in sort of the primordial uh you know um goo that the multiverse would all sort of sink and curdle into if that happens um do you think there's people at home who are, are just fucking pissed that me and flieger didn't know the prim right off the bat oh <laughs> dude like see that's idiots. the thing it's like i really don't know it either i had to do this sort of um research because this was never the stuff about king that interested me um but i do think it's interesting to discuss it today because uh this is i think with the introduction of insomnia which raises so 
many interesting questions about what the Crimson King really represents in the larger King, um, you know, uh, uh, collection of works, um, which we'll talk more about later, especially in relation to it and Derry. But uh, yeah, so I think like, revisiting all of this, you know, big fantasy world stuff. This has never been my bag. I'm not really into so sort of the metaphysical, the Lovecraftian, the fantasy ideas of King. Those are always the things that have been um, less interesting to me. So kind of giving myself this crash course in the Prim, in Todash, in uh, Gan, and all these sort of things that I think when I first read the Tower books, my eyes uh, glazed over a bit <laughs> when I read some of that stuff. Would you guys say that it- those elements were interesting to you when you read them? It's kind of funny because I, and I'm Flieger, I'm interested to hear what you have to say because I know you weren't a super big on fantasy for a long time. But I th- it is funny because I think when you read the books so spaced out like I did, like except for book six and seven, I, I read them, you know, not when they came out because I wasn't born yet for some of them, but like I didn't read them all back to back, right? I, just, I kind of read them spaced out. And, I th- I, and so as a result, I feel like it didn't feel super glaze my eyes didn't glaze over too too much honestly more i think until we got to the song of Susanna stuff about you know king being a character character and connecting and, and all that um i mean it's weird because i i feel like i do know a lot about the dark tower i, I do and that there i i mean there's certain books i love so much i will say my least favorite part of the books is probably the cosmology all the stuff you're talking about Rand. yeah well, i mean clearly like i didn't remember the prim right because it just gets so i don't know what it adds to the story and i've actually got a little tired as time has gone on of i I always say this in the podcast but of like energy vampires and the like i like the salem's lot vampires when they're just vampires right right but then when they get connected to the crimson king and all this energy and multiverses and shit it actually kind of takes away from some of king's more visceral villains for me so although i do like the dark tower books i would say my least favorite part is the sort of interconnectedness of all the but i'm interested to hear flieger says because i know flieger you have like the concordance and i feel like you've always been pretty well schooled and and how all this stuff is connected. But yeah, what what are your thoughts on it? Oh, I'll school you all right. Um, (laughs) No, I kind of just going on what Deus said. uh, So I avoided fantasy for a long time because of the, you know, the deus ex machiana, like, oh, you got turned into a stone, but there's a potion that to me, that's kind of lazy writing. So I always kind of veered more towards sci-fi. And then after season one of Game of Thrones, I just tore through those books and that kind of opened up a new interest in fantasy. And I realized that, you know, there could be high fantasy and low fantasy. Um, I think in terms of dark tower fantasy, I appreciate a lot of the cosmic mythology. I, I agree with Dan. I don't think it adds a lot to the story. I don't think it's necessary for it to add much. I think it just kind of exists in the background. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it, it really doesn't matter where the Crimson King comes from because he's here now and we have to deal with the problem at hand. Um, so I appreciate it. I do actually wish there was more concrete information about him because I love good universe building and I want to know the origins of every character, you know, what their place is within mm-hmm. this universe. So it can be a little frustrating because I do feel like it under delivers. Um, but kind of, you know, like the Christian devil or even Sauron, it's as long as they're there kind of causing the evil, they serve their punk or function in the story. So we don't have to know every little detail, but just for my own sake, you know, I want to know every minute little fact about them. 
Yeah, so uh, you mentioned the origins, and I guess let's talk a little bit about the very murky origins of the Crimson King as it exists. And I think that there's a few different ways that we can approach this. I wrote down a few here. Um, there is obviously, I think it's it's kind of impossible to talk about the Crimson King without mentioning King Crimson, the band. Um, they released a uh, album in 1968 called In the Court of the Crimson King. It was their first album, and uh, you know, as as kind of spooky as it all sounds, uh, they weren't uh, referring to the devil, at least based on what I read. Uh, basically, historically, a Crimson King, quote-unquote, is any monarch during whose reign there was civil unrest and copious bloodshed. Um, so, uh, sat- Satan-like, I guess you could say, but they really weren't interested in the idea of, of uh, you know, they, they weren't naming themselves after Satan. And so, um, and I didn't see too much out there of King specifically referring to the band or the album, but clearly uh, it was on his head because in insomnia he literally uses the phrase uh you know ralph is in the court of the crimson king so he was clearly influenced by it it's kind of insane to say that um it didn't have that impact but um but yeah uh i do think it's it's super interesting to consider uh you know that king was probably just stoned listening to some prog rock and decided (laughs) okay here's my here's my bad guy um and so uh, but yeah, there really isn't too much uh, in the actual books that dig into the creation of the Crimson King. It does sort of exist as a as a godlike figure, like that. We do learn a little bit about sort of that big cosmic, um, you know, Gan and the Prim and Todash and all these different things. And uh, and you know, so but but from what I was reading, there is a few um, you know. Uh, I mean, obviously, there's a lot of crossover when we talk about Pennywise, too, right? And I have a lot more thoughts on the connection between Pennywise and the Crimson King as well. But there is sort of this general concept that we don't really know the true form of the Crimson King, that it exists in sort of a metaphysical presence, although we do see various other um, depictions of him, both in the book and in the comics, which we'll talk more about. But um, but yeah, so from what I was reading, even some of the experts on this kind of thing say, what's not entirely clear is whether or not Um, you know, the Crimson King was birthed out of the void, um, but that it was likely created by Gan, um, which is that, you know, sort of god. Um, But in the comics, they go, like you mentioned earlier, Flieger, there is a more um, detailed sort of origin story for the character. Do you remember it specifically? Uh, Yeah, so it's, I believe it's that Arthur the Eld fathered him, right? At some point from his harem. Um, and one thing, too, I just wanted to point out, because even within uh, King Crimson, um, we should mention The King in Yellow, which is the collection of horror short stories. Ah, yes, um, good point. By Robert W. Chambers. So that was, you know, in the 1800s. Um, famously, True Detective references it. Yep. But even that is about a, a king of a certain color who's sort of this evil creature, and you never really know. And the story, it's made up of a collection of short stories that they're basically telling to this king that all sort of tie together to a larger narrative. Um, but yeah, I think basically like he he's a descendant of Arthur the Eld, which also raises the question to me if he's supposed to be this being that has been around for so long, and then that's why I have trouble wrapping my mind around the fact that he's d- 
descendant from Arthur because Arthur doesn't seem to have been around quite as long, you know. Well, as some there of these is, more cosmic beings. It, what's interesting is uh, Crimson King's mother. So is the Crimson Queen, a demonic creature of the Prim. Um, and so basically, from what I was reading, um, and you may remember, this may refresh you from the comics, but um, from what I would read, with the aid of the wizard uh, Marilyn, is it Marilyn? I think it's well, Merlin. Yeah, I think it's, it's Merlin because it, all of this is kind of a riff on King right, Arthur. Right, right. I always in my head when yeah. I was a kid pronounced it Merlin. Um, <laughs> Merlin, the Crimson Queen, took on human form and de- and deceived Arthur Eld to achieve the union. Uh, and so um, Roland, in this sense, is a distant descendant of Eld. This makes the Crimson King a half-uncle of Roland, um, albeit through many generations. So, And then that ends up being sort of the key through which Roland can actually defeat the king um, um, and so that, you know, basically we get that Star Wars, everyone's related kind of thing. <laughs> yeah, because Which I'm I... like not crazy about because and I know part of the Dark Tower mythos is that it, it does owe a lot to King Arthur. Right. But essentially they're giving the Crimson King's origin story the same origin story as Mordred in the Arthur books and the Crimson Queen being Morgana. But then it gets confusing because then Roland's son later on is Mordred. It just all feels like a little, a little not thought out, you know, like, sure. I'm like, I don't mind them borrowing from the Arthur mythos, but it, it, it's like they're sort of recycling this whole, oh, um, a, 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 a demon or whatever deceives a noble guy into impregnating them, you know, and it, like, I, I don't know. And maybe I guess you could say Cosweald, it's a cycle, right? But like, it, it is funny that the comic or, origin story which happened after Mordred's origin story is sort of similar. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm being. Yeah. I, that's one thing too that, you know, I see Luke Skywalker and Darth Vader. Okay. That's a huge reveal, but I think it's kind of lazy to rely. Not, not in this case necessarily, but just in general in fiction where it's like, well, guess what? We're related. It's like, well, who gives a shit? You know, <laughs> if, if you don't believe in like royalty other than like inheritance rights or, you know, you can pull from his estate when he's dead. It doesn't have any greater significance to me that, characters are related you know game of thrones had a big reveal that i think everyone kind of saw coming you know that one made sense with the larger story but just in general when it's like oh yeah well it turns out we're distant uncles it's like okay (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah yeah it's i always feel like the family thing always seems a little bit easy and sometimes it's just more interesting when then you know you have a person who is good and a person who is bad um so with the Crimson King, I guess a fun question uh, that I sort of had to sit down and ask myself is, what does the Crimson King do? <laughs> you know, because when you look at somebody like um, Randall Flagg, um, that is a character who very clearly has his finger in many in many pies. He is uh, he's a bad little boy, and he uh, <laughs> he gets directly into the business of various people. Whereas the Crimson King is more of a string puller. The Crimson King sort of uh, you know is said to be the one that is uh, controlling characters like Randall Flagg, yes, but also Atropos in Insomnia, as well as Mister Munchen from uh, I believe from Black House. Uh, a lot of the, and then basically you know if you really want to do that macro picture you can really tie uh, a lot of um, different characters to the Crimson King including a major character in the Dark Tower mythos John Farson um, who is an agent of the Crimson King and so um, but I think King sort of 
you know, stumbled upon this character around that time, or, you know, sort of maybe in the years before he was uh, writing Insomnia, and kind of decided that Insomnia was the uh, place to introduce his character, which is funny, because it's, you know, not a Dark Tower novel. And, um, but, and he sort of also introduces this character who is important to the endgame of the Dark Tower in Insomnia, and that's Patrick Danville, who ends up being sort of, um, we discover him as a prisoner in the final Dark Tower book, and he has this artistic ability that ends up being instrumental in taking down the Crimson King. And so, uh, but basically Ralph is, it's on him and Insomnia to stop this, um, you know, airplane from crashing into a convention center and killing everyone inside and uh, for the sole purpose of saving this little boy. And he does save him. But as he, you know, he's doing that, we encounter the Crimson King up in the sky in a very sort of metaphysical strange um, uh, sequence in which the Crimson King shapeshifts first into Ralph's mother and then shapeshifts into um, a catfish. Uh, and basically, these are things that Ralph fears. So Shades of Pennywise. Again, we'll talk more about that later. Um, but um, it is a really compelling sequence. And there are moments, we read them aloud on the podcast, where you know King sort of offers a look behind the veil and very much paints this portrait of... Um, of the Crimson King that is sort of like reverse Jesus, right? It's like, uh, if, if, you know, it's like if you, um, made Jesus's eyes red, <laughs> that's basically the Crimson King. And, uh, and, you know, he doesn't destroy the Crimson King by any means, but he does thwart him in a certain way. And, uh, and then the Crimson King appears yet again in Black House. Do you guys remember what the Crimson King's role in Black House is? Don't they just because in Black House it's like the killer that they're they're dealing with most of the time, right? The moon, moon chainer or whatever. And, and isn't it when they actually enter the house in the end they kind of see see him? Uh, I don't even think you actually. I can't remember if you actually see him. It's yeah, man, I've so read Black House in since I've read it. But yeah, yeah the killer look, is Charles Burnside, and we learn that he is basically under the control of Mister Munchen, who is a worker. Like basically, uh, I always remembered him as sort of a middle manager in the world of like the Crimson yeah. King's operation, which I always thought was kind of interesting. And then uh, he sort of works for the Crimson King, and I do remember, like you know, it's around that time of Black House, and then also. Um, uh, the Wolves of Kala and the Song of Susanna, where we start learning about like the can toy and the idea oh, of and these, the breakers and all that yeah, stuff. The and, breakers, yeah. all of these um, uh, various agents, the low men in yellow coats, obviously. Uh, these and and the Crimson King is mentioned in uh, in Hearts in Atlantis in as just you know an offhand mention in that book as well in Low Men in Yellow Coats in there, which is interesting because it does sort of help. Uh, you know, King obviously was working through this long form mythology in his mind as he was writing these other stories which is you know super interesting but yeah uh kind of black house serves as um you know not just a sequel to the talisman and kind of um you know one of king's early forays into writing about hard-boiled crime a little bit but um but it also does serve to uh introduce the or at least help you know uh draw out the concept of the breakers that are these humans who have psychic powers would you say that they're akin to the shine is that ever made explicit yeah, I, I think, well, going back just to something you said a few minutes ago, oh, yeah, sure. um, just back to Insomnia. So um, if you remember, too, there's a sequence where a green man appears. Yes. And he's sort of the one who pushes them to save Patrick Danville. And I believe the theory is that that is Flag, because Flag, while he's a servant of the Crimson King, he doesn't want him to succeed necessarily. I think he wants the tower for himself. 
So I think he's the kind of orchestrates keeping Patrick Danville alive in order to erase the king. Um, I don't know what his plan is beyond that. Um, but it's funny when you're talking about like Black House, Crimson King, Little Yellow Men. There's so many color themes here, and I guess it helps keep the characters apart. Um, but anyway, back to, back to the more contemporary. No, that, point, I though, mean, of, yeah, the the green okay. the green man is interesting because I guess even on my reread, I was thinking it was the turtle. You know what I mean? But uh, but I, I feel like as soon as you said that Flieger, it sort of triggered a uh, memory in my head that I did hear that it was Randall Flagg. I, I, I think well. it's in, I don't know. It might be in one of the comics. I, I think one of the characters does reference it. Um, but in terms of the breaker abilities too, I. I see any sort of psychic ability or power within the universe as a shine, um, you know, because even it was it, Dick Holleran's the one that him and his grandma called it shining, but not a lot of other characters refer to it as by name. So I think it's just anyone that has some sort of psychic ability. Yeah. And I, I think that, that can also manifest in different ways. So like, you know, whether it's outward projection of energy, which it seems like the breakers have, or just reading someone's mind. Um, I think it's pretty open. But what do you think, Kaffer? Yeah, no, I th- it goes back to that thing. And once again, for better or for worse, I think once King started connecting all the mythos, it was like, you know, every vampire is an energy vampire. Um, every monster is a canned toy and, or whatever else. And, and then, therefore, I think it also applies to the good guys, right? Like, I would say that anyone that has... Whether whether it's um, telekinesis or telepathy, you know, um, I, I almost feel like they would all be sort of under the breaker umbrella, right? I actually always wondered if I, I, it's funny because in I think it was it the set, what, it's the seventh Dark Tower book where they actually break the breakers out, right? Like where the, um, like Shimi and and all them. Um, it, it was funny because I always wondered, like, oh yeah, it would make sense to have. Danny Torrance there, you know what I mean? Um, maybe even Charlie McGee. I know she hers is more like doing with pyrokinesis, but yeah, I, I feel like any I feel like any good person with the ability it is kind of the shine, you know, just because yeah. like why wouldn't it be? If everything else is connected, then I think that is connected too. And, and yeah, I think he it, isn't commenting on that either way, but um, that's just what I think. I, I think the Institute, which I know Randall and I have read, mm-hmm. um, breaks into that a little bit with the difference between the was the telekinesis and tele what's oh, the other telepathy. telepathy. Yeah. Telepathy, yes. Um, and they sort of break down that the children usually have one or the other powers. It's almost oh, like cool. being right right handed or left handed, and the scientists are trying to merge the abilities within the children through experiment. Oh, that's cool. I like that. Um, yeah, so I, I think that was one of the cooler parts from that story, which wasn't bad, just not too memorable, but it yeah, did kind of break down a little more. I think you'll enjoy it. Yeah, I said it was like meat and potatoes, King. Um, exactly. Yeah, That's a good way works. of putting it. Uh, yeah, so Black House <laughs> is interesting because, you know, it's another example of how the Crimson King can sort of like bend these uh, broken people to his own will. In this case, it's uh, Charles Burnside, who is a killer. And um, the kill the kids that are being sort of um, abducted in that book are all, they all have that ability to serve as breakers. Um, and so we do get sort of this glimpse at the breaker sort of culture in, um, breaker culture in uh, in uh <laughs> black house which is which is interesting and um and then you know and then we kind of get full-on crimson king in the final book uh sort of uncut crimson king where he's basically lost (laughs) his mind has killed everyone who worked for him killed himself has become this weird immortal being and he's trapped on this balcony of the tower and he's sort of attacking them with these grenade type things and he's screaming uh his classic e which um (laughs) yes and i I make fun of the e a lot on this podcast 
but I actually like it. I think it's kind of cool. Oh, I do too. I think it's super freaky. It reminds me of like Neckbeard though. Tendies! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, and then he is, um, you know, and I know we're doing sort of a very broad uh, overview here and we are, uh, you know, not pinpointing uh, the specific facts, but trust that as we get to those books, on the podcast, we will be digging a lot deeper. This is just sort of an introductory discussion of the Crimson King. And I guess I'm more interested when we get there, which will be very shortly, um, about what, what, whether we like the character or not, I think will be a fun question. So um, so yeah, you know, the Crimson King is ultimately defeated. Uh, all that remains of him in the end are his eyes, which is again, another strong Sauron reference. And his eyes are very important in the story and the idea that they have that ability to possess people. And um, and but yeah, it's uh, Patrick Danville and Roland who are able to take him down. And uh, uh, you know, it's it's. I remember being somewhat underwhelmed <laughs> by the time I got there. Um, but before we sort of get into our personal thoughts, I guess I have one question <laughs> that is a pretty persistent um, theory within the King universe, which is, um, or at least maybe a question, which is that is the Crimson King also Pennywise or are they creatures of the same species? Uh, what do you guys think about that? Man, it's, that's always been such like a kind of bummer topic to me just because I feel like King never really answers it. Right. Like, and, and also Dandelo too, right? Cause Dandelo yep. is kind of the same thing. And it's weird because we meet Dandelo right before we get to the Crimson King. Yep. And we see him turn into a clown at some point too. And so I remember, I remember hearing before I read the Seventh Dark Tower book that the Pennywise, I think it might be in that concordance. I'm not sure where the theory started, but that a lot of people thought that Pennywise was the beast who guarded the tower, right? And then you get to when you get to Dandelo, I was like, oh, cool, it's Pennywise. Oh, it's a clown. And then you're like, wait, no, this is, I guess, some lesser version of Pennywise. Um, I mean, once again, I yeah, I, I I think they are all of the same creature. At the same time, I think that's a choice of convenience for King. <laughs> do, you know, do you know what I mean? Right. Like, which it goes back to Flieger saying like, there's some parts of the dark tower where the world building is so strong and I wish it was a little bit better applied to those kinds of things. Like if he had really set up, Oh yeah, these are three of the same creature. Um, Crimson King is probably the most powerful. Pennywise is second. And then maybe Dandelo is the third most powerful. Although Pennywise weirdly feels the most powerful, even though ranking wise, I guess he wouldn't be. So it's almost like to me, I, I, I do think that is, I think King leaned on that. I don't mind it as a choice. It is kind of cool, but I wish you would have completed the gesture a little bit more. Right. And, and yeah. that's hard because how do you do that without getting really expositioning and being like, Oh yeah, we've, we found a journal from these, the, these uh, kids in Derry, Maine that said, you know, you know, like how do you, <laughs> how do you do that? And, and then it's tough too, because Dandelo's robot is named stuttering bill, I think. So it's, and it, I think King just, when he doesn't fully make the connections, I think he just relies on like, oh yeah, well, it's a multiverse, cause a wheel, blah, 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 and that's it. So it's like, I don't mind the connection. I just wish he would go a little bit further with it. That's that's Yeah, I, yeah I, I agree too. And I, I, I've always thought of the Crimson King as having way more power than the It creature. Um, just because why is he, you know, he's only feeding every 27 years and why is he focusing on a group of kids versus a guy who's pulling strings across interdimensions to affect all of time. You know what I mean? It just seems like he's at a next level. Um, I do think, though, they maybe have an origin that's similar. I don't know if the same species is this, but they come from, like, the same place, and they seem to have similar abilities. Um, but one thing, too, that one theory that I've read is that even if they were the same creature, the fact that 
by occupying the tower, you sort of occupy all time from the beginning to the end at the same time. And that maybe the Crimson King has gotten in over his head and that he, as powerful as he is, he's not, you know, like Mantoran, he's not at that level where he could actually handle the tower. And obviously, I mean, it's made him go insane, right? So maybe he's like an it creature that went, you know, a step too far up the tower than his brain could handle. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Have you guys heard theories about that? How, yeah, I mean, they mentioned that he's insane in the book, but why do you think he is insane? Yeah, I guess they, I mean, that would make the most sense, right? Like, and, and to me in a weird way, and, and once again, we'll talk about whether we like the Crimson King's abilities or just, I guess, his, his demeanor and appearance once we get to that part. But to me, I guess I always looked at it like the tower is actually, I don't want to call the tower a villain, but I think the tower is almost like the big final force right it's not the crimson king and so if and if we're operating by that logic yeah i would think he would have gone crazy by seeing all these rooms and i don't know if that's because he's corrupted in a way that roland isn't because roland doesn't go crazy right although roland does like you know as we know from the ending it kind of starts over but he brings he he has the horn this time right so like roland although roland doesn't go crazy he doesn't like i don't think he's remembering all of his pastimes at the tower when once he starts the loop over again you know so i think that shows the tower does have some kind of mind erasing ability at the very least yeah and uh yeah i guess i always my the madness i always interpreted was that idea that even this uh great godlike monster was undone by the tower you know i guess that was you know this is my uh very distant memory but when i was revisiting it that's sort of where i i went with it um there was a really smart piece in on adamtickets.com weirdly enough uh that i found <laughs> that is all about uh it's sort of it's by a, a woman named alicia grouso and it's all about uh Pennywise tying into the Crimson King. And I do think some of these points are interesting, and they they touch on things that I was thinking about a lot while reading Insomnia, where they directly reference the Deadlights sort of in in reference to the Crimson King. So I'm going to read a little bit from this piece. Um... So, and I think one of the main things here is that the Crimson King is a shapeshifter, much like Pennywise, and uh, and that the shapeshifting does take the form of that which uh, scares the person that it's confronting the most. Um, I'm going to read directly here. In the Dark Tower books, the Crimson King is referenced as the Great Scuttling Spider King, and is elsewhere confirmed as a shapeshifting were-spider, an attribute that it also possesses. Other references to Pennywise and similarities have popped up from time to time. In uh, Insomnia, the Crimson King appears to Ralph as Ralph's dead mother, and then into the catfish, and then um, remarks to Ralph, I can be whatever I want. You may not know it, but shape-changing is a time-honored custom in Derry. So there's that. But then, um, sort of when the universe opens up and the the Crimson King kind of gets swept away from uh, the dairy that Ralph is occupying, um, they do say that there is a direct reference to the idea of Ralph hiding his eyes from what he calls, you know, what surfaces in his mind to be called the Deadlights. And... uh, uh, this piece says, at one point in the books, the deadlights appear when the Crimson King is climbing to a higher level of the tower. What's more, his metaphysical properties are very similar to it. While the Crimson King's physical body is trapped on the upper balcony of the tower, he has another, more metaphysical form that exists in the court of the Crimson King. It's an exceptionally similar scenario to Pennywise, with its physical form residing in tri- Derry, but its true me- metaphysical form residing in the deadlights. Lastly, the Crimson King refers to himself as the Eater of Worlds, the same thing Pennywise calls himself 
himself when he battles the losers. So there is uh, a lot of evidence that they are actually the same creature. Um, and, you know, when we do think about that scene in it, uh, when they kind of travel back in time and they see the arrival, uh, this sort of, you know, being coming in a wave of fire through the clouds, um, you know, it does have a very Lovecraftian, very godlike uh, thing to it. So does any of that um, evidence sort of uh, uh, make your eyebrows rise up or do you still think that maybe they're two distinct beings or is King purposefully leaving it ambiguous? So, so she's saying that they're they're not just of the same species; they're like actually the same, yes. the same being. Yes. I mean, I kind of like that. I mean, once again, I, King. I don't know why he hasn't confirmed it one way or the other. I think it would be I, here. I'll put it this way: like I think that's all pretty convincing evidence, and I think I would actually like it a little bit better if he just confirmed that it was Pennywise, you know, like mm-hmm. or like whatever its true name is, and that would also lend some credence to the insanity thing too, because he's already in a way Pennywise has been defeated once, right? Even though he's not like fully vanquished, he's been through this cycle with these kids, and he would be in some kind of weakened state. So I would buy that a little bit. Um, yeah, so I would. I I think I think all those points are valid. Um, I wonder if King d- didn't confirm it one way or the other just to like I don't know fuck with us or, or just leave it ambiguous that's yeah that's my opinion what about you Fleer? um I, I guess it's to me i still think of them as a little bit different but the different in a way that an alligator is different from a crocodile mm-hmm. where they maybe descend from some similar background but they've taken on different forms um it, it just seems that their motives are different but who, i mean i guess it did say he is the eater of worlds it just seems like his goals are much less lofty than utter destruction of all existence which the Crimson <laughs> King seems to want to do. That is a I mean, good in, point. <laughs> I will say too in 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 it we talk they talk about how many um babies or eggs that the Pennywise creature is, is has had and can have, right? Like they they do allude that there are a lot of them. I mean <laughs> It would be really funny if King just full on confirmed like, oh, yeah, they're stepbrothers or something <laughs> like they're, they're, they're first cousins. I mean, the thing I keep getting tripped up on that just makes this a little frustrating is, is the Dandelo thing, too, because I feel like with the clown bit, they they really tie Dandelo to Pennywise like visually, you know what yeah, I mean? And yeah, it's almost like, that. man, why? I that 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 I think that's what makes it weird to me that it's not confirmed one way or the other because then you have this third thing that's kind of like a lesser version of, of this creature than the Cribs and King Pennywise are but yeah 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 I think that's all super interesting okay so I guess like that idea of Dan you you mentioned uh, the Crimson King sort of being defeated a few times. And I think if there's one thing that frustrates me with the character is I don't feel like we see the character win a lot. <laughs> like we see him defeated in, I mean, if we want to draw these comparisons to Pennywise, we see Pennywise defeated in it twice. Uh, and then we also see uh, uh, the Crimson King thwarted by a, a, an old man in insomnia. <laughs> and then we see the character driven insane by the tower. And there is this sort of moment where I'm like, yeah, you're you're big and scary and you're compelling, but what have you really done, you know? And I think that's maybe where I struggle with the character, and if we want to talk a little bit about our own personal responses to the character, I never felt all that connected because I never uh, feared the Crimson King as much as I feared a character like Randall Flagg, who I always thought was such a formidable presence. And, um... And obviously, you know, a major uh, antagonist in several Stephen King books. But I, I, I always wish that I had that kind of... I mean, I guess if you do want to 
uh, if if I if I accept the thesis that Pennywise and the Crimson King are the same, then that you know then obviously that does give it a little more weight. But as an entity, the Crimson King to me always felt like kind of um, I don't know MacGuffinish in some ways. And in, in I know that's not the proper use of MacGuffin, but it's kind of like this thing at the end that in the end just doesn't really matter. Uh, you know, the Crimson King is defeated rather handily in like the at the end of the Dark Tower and ends up sort of not being the big final confrontation that I think maybe a lot of us expected or at least I did when I first read about the character in Insomnia so for me I always found the character rather underwhelming and um, like compelling in sort of a big picture sense and also uh, the way that King ties it into Christian mythology and the idea that um, this uh, this archetype exists this character sort of exists as an archetype in all these different multiverses that's super interesting to me but um, but I never feared the character in the same way that I feared Randall Flagg or you know even something like Mordred because Mordred was at least a formidable foe, you know, like, like, uh, and so I don't know, do you, how, how do you guys feel personally? Is this a character that you think is, is, um, is an essential villain within the King universe? Um, so I would actually kind of going on the Christian mythology, um, essentially, you know, Lucifer Lightbringer was cast out of heaven for speaking against God. Mm-hmm. Right. And you have his instances and, you know, if he is supposed to be the devil, um, you know, in the Bible, it says there is going to be this battle. It's in Revelation. Um, John wrote that, you know, there's going to be like an Armageddon on the field of a Gegmon. And Satan is going to rise up, but he's also destined to lose. Right. And I think the story's been foretold. Kinda, right. Which is very strange because it's like we're permitted to have free will, which in itself is a contradiction. But anyway. Sure. Um, so, but the idea though is that the evil will ultimately lose. And I think the lingering of the eyes is that sort of christian you know idea of like even if the devil isn't being active in your life he's always watching so Mm -hmm. you need to kind of behave and watch yourself and even the more i think about too like the dark tower if he is in fact trying to climb it it almost is like the tower of babel Mm -hmm. where people tried to build a tower tall enough to reach heaven so god struck it down so i think there's some you know loose connections there i agree though it does it seem like flag is a lot more effective i do think though they mentioned that every time there's the reset when Roland enters the top of the tower, that flag is the only one that keeps the memory. Mm. So it might be that everyone kind of gets a hard defrag restart and flags curse is sort of that he doesn't fully forget it. Um, but I don't know. What, what do you think Dan, about his not so great fighting prowess? <laughs> I mean, it, yeah, it's funny because it almost feels like a video game villain or something, right? Like Roland essentially gets there. And he just has to dodge these grenades and then <laughs> you know, shoot at him until, until Danville sketches him out. I mean, it, it's so tough. Like, I, all right, I guess if we're speaking about Crimson King as a villain, definitely not as satisfying as Pennywise, if, if Pennywise is indeed a different person or a different being, definitely not as satisfying as Randall Flagg. I mean, I wouldn't even say he's as satisfying as someone like Barlow from Salem's right? Line, right? And, and I think that's because we get to spend a lot more time with all these people. But uh, on the flip side, it doesn't bother me so much because I do look at him like a almost like a wizard of Oz thing, right? It's like, mm-hmm. smoke, like, like smoke and mirrors and all the real stuff is in front of it. And I hear what you're saying, Randall, about like, Oh, he, he, we never really get to see him win, but I guess you could say if he's in charge, then technically all of flags victories and the plague in mm. the stand. And yeah. Yeah. Pennywise killing these kids and the kids dying in black house. Like all this stuff is connected to him. Right. Uh, I'm not saying that makes it satisfying in the, in the thick of reading it. Like when you're in the moment, but if you're going to think about contextual, I'm like, okay, well, I kind of get that. And, and aside from the villain stuff, I 
I, I really love the ending of Dark Tower. I actually really like this loop that Roland is in with the horn again. And then I really like the epilogue that King tells people to that they don't have to read, right? Yeah. Um, or wait, no, which one comes first? The, the, the Central Park thing comes first, then Roland, right? Not the other way around? Um... I feel like the the horn and stuff happens. That's in the epilogue. Like I when, think so, right? Because there, there's the moment where King says, "Don't let's just end here." Yeah, don't yeah. read the. He next says, "Don't part. don't confuse making love with an orgasm." Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> which I always, but I, I come back to that a lot because like when some people like watch a movie, they be like, "Oh, I didn't like how it ended." It's like, well, did you enjoy the other two hours of the movie? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's, um, yeah. And Tell I, that to and Mike kind of, Oh yeah, no, I'm just. Kidding. Um, no, but I, I literally like people will complain about like the end of the Sopranos and it's like, well, they did give you six seasons. So, <laughs> um, so I think on the reset to, uh, in the wind through the keyhole, I believe they acknowledge that Roland has the horn. So it's like the Arthur Eld's horn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think also in the gunslinger born, they show the battle of Jericho Hill. And I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think he might have the horn with him at that point too. Um, so I actually, over time, I've come to appreciate the ending more because they've been setting up the cause wheel thing the entire time. So the way it ended actually was perfect for what King was setting up. However, I also think that because King is such a prolific writer that he probably would make and will make a few more Dark Tower series. So I actually could see this series coming to an end at some point. I would not be surprised if he wrote, you know, two to three more books over the next few decades. Yeah, maybe and maybe featured the... Crimson King a little bit more fulsomely and and yeah I think and I think I, I agree with you Fleeger like because I like the ending of the and be, and because to me it seems like the ending is not so much about this fighting this big bad it's about roll yeah the cause of wheel Roland going back and doing this loop again and because I I mean I, I adore the Central Park scene between um, Suzanne and Eddie I think it's mm-hmm. beautiful and so it's weird it's like yeah the crimson king is a MacGuffin because to me that's not what the book was about and it's not even the strongest moment in the ending of the book so i guess when i think about it it doesn't really bother me i I, I don't know it's it's so tough it's like not an easy easily answerable thing because you see that great painting of the crimson king of michael whalen's painting of him being kind of cloaked in the red robe above the dead bodies it looks really freaky you know and then when we when we meet the crimson king and he does the no joke i picture him as the the keep on trucking guys from um R. Crumbs comics, just these like kind of like, <laughs> like bald dudes with long, like almost like a seven dwarfs kind of kind of thing, right? Like, so like visually, it, it is kind of silly, but yeah, I think I, I think for me, it's a case of the good stuff in the end of the book and uh, the series as a whole outweighs the bad stuff for me. And I do, I once again, I think the ease is <laughs> the e is actually kind of freaky. Like this guy, this villain who's just gone insane. And I guess too, if we think about it, there's no shortage of excellent villains throughout the whole Dark Tower series, right? Mm-hmm. Like we get Flag, we get Mordred, we get we get Mia, um, we get all these g- great gangsters in um, uh, the second book, Drawing of the Three. We get the slow mutants, you know. Like, there's no shortage. Of, like, and and you're right. How how would the Crimson King live up to someone like Flag? You know, right? Like, we just don't get enough time with him to really to really make that possible. And so, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like a a slight pass for me. Like, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll grant you that King. I just wanted to see a scene where like Crimson King's on his throne and he goes, yes. Like after, you know, flag kills some kids or something. Um, yeah. He's like, do you know who I am? <laughs> I wanted to see him in, you know, in uh, nightmare before Christmas where 
Jack says, I am the Pumpkin King. I am the Crimson King. But, it, but it's like with Sauron when they show him battling in the Lord of the Rings films mm-hmm. and he's just like mowing guys down with every swing of like what his staff or sword. Oh yeah, I would have liked to have seen at least it, some yeah. kind of fight scene. Yeah, like that. that's, a, that's a good point. And it's funny because the, the we hear about those battles in Lord of the Rings, the book, and like the Book of Lost Tales and Silmarillion, but he doesn't really describe it too much. I think that was actually pretty savvy of Peter Jackson to open the movie like that because it's it's not really going against anything in the books and like you were saying Fleer, it really does it, it it's it's why i tend to like it when horror movies start off with like a kill or a scare because it just like establishes right away that there's danger you know what i mean and yeah and with the crimson and i think it's because i don't think when king sat down with the gunslinger back in the 70s or 60s i don't think he was thinking that far ahead right but yeah i think it's because the crimson king kind of comes out as this like trickle and and so it's it's tough because on one hand, his power is that we never really see him and that other people are doing his bidding. But on the other hand, it, it's it's tough because he's only in, like, I, I haven't counted the pages, but not even 50 pages of the book, right? Like, how do you... What, I'm trying to think what King could have done to make him seem scary or more powerful in that short period of time. And I don't know, maybe he, he commented on that in the interview with George R. R. Martin, or maybe he hasn't. He did not. But that is interesting, and those are all, I think, super fascinating points and and i think like this conversation was sort of a good uh primer for when we do get to those books and we do get to this character and we say like oh did this next read like now that we're a little bit more familiar with the cosmology and the you know sort of the um you know the metaphysical history of this character maybe you know we'll interpret it a little bit differently but for now i think this was a a fun a fun chat about the crimson king Mm -hmm. um did you guys have any final thoughts uh, yeah, I will say one thing just because we are talking about his, um, yeah, just sort of his appearance and his demeanor and everything. They do do a little bit of course correction in the comic books um, because they do show him uh, kind of like they do with Sauron, where you know, in, like flashbacks and whatnot. Um, and well, then you get his origin story. But in the comics, he he they draw him in kind of different forms at different times. And I, th- I think it's Long Road Home or Gunslinger Born. I can't remember they, when they first show him. He is a lot more imposing. He's this kind of ashen skinned almost like buff dude with like a horn in his head he actually does look pretty freaking as this long tongue and i almost wonder if that was a little bit of course correction like okay we're gonna show yeah what he could look like and like flag flag looks different depending on what era we see him and i'm sure and because crimson king is a shapeshifter he could look different so you could argue that he also looks like this crazed old man because he's gone insane right and so like i, I guess i just want to point out that um we are complaining about his appearance or whatever else but I, I do think he looks pretty cool in the comics that's the last thing i want to say Nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I think he does look sweet in the. He almost looks like a rhino or. Uh, yeah, something. right. That's a good, yeah, definitely a rhino. Yeah. But but I, I think too, it's the it goes back to like the H.P. Lovecraft like Cthulian mythology where these monsters are incomprehensible to the human eye, mm-hmm. and you know even in it too when they sort of battle at the end. So I think that's what King was going for. But I think seeing the crimson crimson king, God, I think I would be able to say it by now. Um, seeing him depicted in comics and other forms of art is always just cool because like Caffrey, I just want to see the monsters. Well, the monsters, man. I want, I want to see Crimson want to King see look monsters. like the Indominus Rex from, uh, <laughs> from Jurassic World. That's what I want him to look like. 
Well, this is a fun chat. Uh, we'll be back next week. We've got a whole bunch of fun stuff lined up for this month, including at the end of this month, we're going to be discussing our next book, Rose Matter. Very different book from uh, Insomnia, but still has some Dark Tower connections of its own. So we'll be keeping an eye on those. I think a lot of uh, King's books from this point out start to have a lot of Dark Tower connections. He was very much, I think, ramping up, uh, you know, towards uh, capping off this story and, and, and building his multiverse. So lots of fun stuff on the way. Um, but yeah, why don't we sign off? Long days. Days. And pleasant, pleasant nights. Well, I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. Well, I got some hot friends. God, I got some hot friends. But you know you want somebody to treat you good. This is the end of our show. For now. We hope you enjoyed this production. If you like our programming, consider searching for other bloody disgusting podcasts, such as Creepy, Horror Queers, The Boo Crew, SCP Archives, Nightlight, Margaret's Garden, and more.